friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. For years, I've been defending Leaf fans, saying, despite what most folks said about them, most of them had a pretty good understanding of their lot in life. There were those across the country who took a couple of D-bags on Twitter and projected that as the Leafs fan base. But having lived here for a while, having hosted local radio in Toronto for a while, I got to understand that there was a lovable loser mentality that I think the majority of Leaf fans came to embrace. I mean, how could you not? You hadn't won Jack since 1967. There are teenagers, teenagers, who have never seen them win a single round in the Stanley Cup playoffs. <laughs> but all that's about to change, kids, quicker than you can say Yiri Sira if, if. That's right, the Toronto Maple Leafs are now one win away from cracking the first-round goose egg and unlocking the Leaf fan you all knew was buried deep down inside that forced self-awareness. Lord help us if they make a deep run. I'm Tim McAuliffe. This is Tim and Friends. Jesse Rubinoff is here, as always. Donovan Bennett is stopping by. Ken Reed as well. Elliot Friedman, our number two. Also talking ball with Dave McMenamin and Dan Schulman on what was supposed to be Happy Alec Manoa Day to you and yours. Lo and behold, moments ago on the old Twitter machine, in fact, three minutes to the hour, the New York Yankees. Tonight's game has been postponed due to the forecast of inclement weather. It will be made up as the first game of a single admission. Thank you for that. Doubleheader tomorrow beginning at 4.05 p.m. Eastern time. The good news is Jesse and I might get the day off. The bad news is... <laughs> I didn't even think about that. The bad <laughs> news is... Actually, there's a Leaf game on. We're not getting the day off. Ooh, that's tough. The bad tough news 180 is, right there. Uh, Alec Manoa, I know for a second I got a really excited. <laughs> uh, the bad news is... No, Alec Manoa Day. It's going to be put off until tomorrow. All right, we'll have more on that in a flash. We'll also get you to three elimination games in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. But that's exactly where we start, my friends. The Toronto Maple Leafs have an opportunity tomorrow at home to the Habs. An elimination game. For the Leafs, amazingly, after going 0-7 in the Matthews and Marner era with the chance to eliminate a team or even take a lead in a series, they were 0-7. For a bunch of folks, it was an example of their inability in the past to put their foot down and seize control of a series. But lo and behold, the Toronto Maple Leafs, those Toronto Maple Leafs, got their second straight win without John Tavares and Nick Foligno, their third straight win without Tavares, and not only was it their most impressive win of the series, 4-0 in Montreal, but they did it without Marner and Matthews scoring a single point. Think about that for a flash. Arguably, the Leafs' four best players, Marner, Matthews, Tavares, Foligno, and they had very little issues with the Habs last night. 
That tells you something about what they have built. Slowly, but what they have built in Toronto. Now, I won't take a victory lap on constantly telling Leaf fans to ease up on William Nylander because eventually you were going to need him. Four goals in four games, arguably the Leafs' most dangerous forward in this series. Now, to be fair, that has happened in part because the Habs have had to worry about Marner and Matthews so much. But it wasn't just Nylander. Spezza looked great. Thornton got one. And former Hab Alex Galchenyuk had his best game as a Leaf as he turns heel on his former team. Call it the Montreal Screwdrop 2 Electric Boogaloo. The reason I said what I said about Big Willie Styles for so long is that in order to win in the playoffs, you can't just lean on one or two guys to get it done. And never has that been more evident than the Leafs in the last couple of nights. And if you don't believe me, you can just go ask the Edmonton Oilers what happens when you lean on just one or two guys to get it done. Hell, you could ask the Montreal Canadiens. The Buds were coming in waves at the Habs, and Montreal, once again, had no answer. Now, I'm not saying this is the start of something, but it might be the start of something, especially, especially if the Leafs' defensive game is real and not just the Habs scoring woes. I mean, the Leafs and Jack Campbell have allowed four goals in four games. And listen, I get Brendan Gallagher's coming back from injury, but this ain't the same Canadians, are they? I mean, Tyler Tavoli had 28 in the regular season. That's a 40-goal pace in a regular season. Josh Anderson had 17. That's about a 25-goal pace. Add Caulfield in, and they were supposed to be a little different. But the Leafs have shut them down, literally, last night. How much is the Habs scoring struggles and how much is the Leafs' revamped defense and defensive game? I will leave it to all y'all to figure out. But while you do, just know Jack Campbell has a 1-0-1 goals against average and a 951, excuse me, a 965 save percentage. And last night, he was the first Leaf goalie to shut out the Habs in the playoffs since. 1967, man. We all need to take a step back. I can't say 1967, but what the hell do we have in store for this year and this Leafs team? Leaf fans could be more unbearable than people who dress up their little dogs like panda bears. Show Jennifer. Look, Jennifer. Okay, maybe that's actually kind of sort of cute. Leaf fans, I'm kidding about all this. Enjoy it, man. It has been a long time coming. Not there yet. Not there yet. But it's been a long time coming. In fact, I'm not sure how you've done it. But if you are a fan, I hope you are enjoying it because it's been such a long time. As for the Habs and their fans, they better figure it out quick. Because just as there have been a couple of days of reckoning for the Edmonton Oilers, there will be the same in Montreal if they can't figure out a way to score some goals. Price, 33, Weber, you've heard it all before. Bergevin's been there nine seasons. I will say this. It's too bad that they weren't a little more healthy coming in because I think that's playing a little bit of a factor here. Though, we also know that 
that market in Montreal is notoriously forgiving when the Habs go out early, if in fact they do go out early. The Leafs have one more game. The Leafs need to get it done. But if they do get that one more game, my God, watch out. We'll get Jets and Leafs in the second round. Speaking of uh, healthy, the Toronto Blue Jays, and no, I'm not going to hit you with another injury line story, another injury list story. Now we're, we're going to bathe in the positivity for now. Steven Matz helping snap a six-game slide with exactly what the Jays needed. Six and two-thirds with his dad and his uncle in the stands, no less. Add a little Chatwood and Romano finishing off with one hit allowed, one earned run, unearned run allowed. And Vladi Dotti, we like to potty. Holy crap, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> and as if it were only the major league leading 16th big fly. Nah, bro. Vladdy leads the American League in home runs, RBI, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, game-winning RBI, total bases, total times on base, runs created, and multi-hit games. Got it good and since you understood. Never mind the stats, Jesse. Is it just me or is there an odd joy every time he steps to the plate where there is this anticipation that he could do something special every time he gets to the plate? I mean, kind of waiting to see things that you rarely see on a baseball field. Like I'm not saying it's Bonds-like, but it's climbing up towards that kind of sort of stratosphere. Do you see the same thing when he steps to the plate? No question. And not only that, we think about the potential that he had coming into his career, and now he's realizing it to the point where I know it's early, but he's second in MVP odds, and you could certainly make a case that he's the most feared hitter in baseball. And this is a guy that had struggled with his weight, had one incredible offseason, and look at how it's translating onto the field. Yeah. It's unbelievable to witness. I will say this. Like, he was still, like, last year at whatever he was, yeah. like, he was still at least an average to a little above average baseball player. Yeah. And the year before, like, you could see the glimpses. But now we're what? Like, he's got a career high in home runs. And he played 60 games last year. I think he's played 47 so far this year. Like, he had 120 games in his rookie season. Yeah. This is a career high in home runs. You know what it's becoming? It's like you could be watching something else because there's a lot of sports going on right now. You could be watching something else on one of the Sportsnet channels. But when Vladdy's coming up, you can't miss it. you got to get over to watch Vladdy's at-bats. That's what it's becoming very quickly because he could do damage every time he steps just, up to the plate. I, I know that he gives me the chuckle factor when he hits a ball over 110 yeah. miles an hour, and it seems like he hits the ball over 110 <laughs> miles like an every hour. every time. Like every game. <laughs> it's insanity. Uh, again, postponed game today, doubleheader tomorrow. <sighs> Dan Schulman was set to join us. I don't know if Dan Schulman is still going to join us because everything's up in the air. I want to talk about Vladdy. And, of course, Alec Manoa. And, listen, we're still going to talk Alec Manoa because Alec Manoa is probably getting the start tomorrow, and we won't have a show before Alec Manoa gets the start tomorrow. So, hopefully, uh, either a baseball guest or Dan Shulman will join us, even though Mr. Shulman doesn't have a game to call. We were both uh, doing our PCR test together. It was me sandwiched by oh, Joe really? Siddle 
and Dan Shulman, and we were talking about the Jays bullpen. No, we were talking about Alec Manoa. Of Special course, we Blue Jays booth. Yeah, it was unbelievable <laughs> in the PCR testing room. I was just soaking up my baseball knowledge. So we'll see if we can get him a little later on in the show. Once again, Blue Jays game postponed. They will play tomorrow afternoon a doubleheader. Um, and I'm sure that Jays fans are a little pissed that they'll have to go up against the Leafs tomorrow in an elimination game. So uh, we'll ask Dan Shulman about Alec Manoa, and we'll ask Dave McMenamin if Kawhi Leonard is coming back to Toronto. What? I didn't do it. Don't blame me. Clippers down 0-2 after losing again last night to Luka and the Mavs. There's no way, right? Like, he went home. His family's there. So what if this is turning out worse than that time when Ron sneezed? Nice, Ron. I sneezed. Oh, I'm not allowed to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite. Glide back to Toronto in the immortal words of KG. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. I don't know if it's possible, but we'll ask uh, MC10, as he's known on Twitter, Mick10, David Meneman, coming up in the second hour of the show. My friends, the festivities have just begun on this edition of Tim and Friends. When we come back, a whole lot of whole grain goodness. Elliot Friedman ahead of game three. Uh, at ahead of three game sixes tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Donovan Bennett in studio in hour number two. And we'll also be joined by Dave McMenamin to talk the NBA playoffs. Showman ahead of Manoa's debut. And... Ken Reed up next on the Leafs and Habs. It's a jam-packed show. It's Tim and Friends on a hump day. Can you tell? Zingas. It's slippery out there, big fella. I mean, look at this move. Oh, oh, and listen, that's, that's the quick in and out burger with cheese right there, Joe. <laughs> Obviously, the team has confidence in me to throw me into the fire, and I'm ready to go, man. So, you know, as long as that mom's still 60 feet, 6 inches, we got a shot. I believe it was Houdini who once said, friends, how many of us have them? Paid acquaintances, well, I got a few of those as well, including the one and only Ken Reed, who shockingly has brought his trophy with him today. Yeah, I thought it was Houdini who said, get me the hell out of this thing. Wasn't that what his famous quote? Yeah, it's a different Houdini. It was a oh, group. Okay. Not Harry Houdini, but the group Houdini. <laughs> Friends, how many of us have them? Never heard of that Friends, one. Friends, I, I know that you've never heard of that, that one, That is to me okay. what Miami Vice is to Jesse, as we were just <laughs> discussing during the break. You know I've never heard Apparently. of that either. Yes. So we get it sweet during the break from Travis oh, Dubay, 93. And I say, Jesse, go get it. It's a pretty good shot at uh, Uncle Timmy. And all yeah. it says is, hey, Tim, where's Tubbs? And I'm wearing kind of a light blue. Yeah. With the light. Like yeah it's, almost dead. it's almost dead on <laughs> what Crockett is wearing. Yeah. And Jesse just turns to us and goes, Who's Tubbs? Yeah, he go, he's going, isn't that the Kenny Powers' dad from Eastbound and Down? You don't get that it's one? nice either? drip. It's a nice suit. Uh, I don't get that well, one. Well, hold on. Let me, hey, for, for everyone, there is another. This is 2020. 
Uh, Terry Jones writes in and says, Tim McAuliffe always rocking the drip. Hashtag Timmy drip drip. So we'll take that. It's the drip if you wear a shirt under a blazer? What? What's the drip? Oh, my God. You're old. You're young. What the hell is going on here? That's worse. I need to defend myself. I know what Miami Vice is. I just didn't know the names of the detectives. What, okay, so what's the drip then? Didn't they do another <laughs> Miami Vice? <laughs> yeah, like a few years ago they drip remade Drip is it. style. Holy <laughs> oh. cow. Keep up yeah. here. Like, how old are you? You got kids. <laughs> Timmy, you're right in the middle. You got how, it all. He knows the drip. The drip? He knows the Miami Vice. How, how, how old are your kids now? Eight and six. Okay, so they're not the quite drip? at drip-like levels. Who goes around yeah. saying you, you got the drip? The Ric Flair drip was a thing for a long time. Oh, I know my Ric Flair. I just... <laughs> The drip. Man. Uh, just listen. You guys every, are way too hip for me in your No, but every once, in a, every once in a while, you got to, you know, dip into the kid stuff. Sometimes you got to dip into the older guy stuff. You got to stay somewhat relevant, don't no, you? No, I'm just cool being old and well, angry. Well, cool being Ken Reed. The pink yeah, is yeah. Exactly. I got go. the drip, baby. You do have the drip. <laughs> the suit have jacket, the drip. yeah. All the time. I've been dripping my whole life. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure that's the context. I don't think oh. it's dripping. I think hey. that's something different, but whatever. It can be used as a verb. That's what happens when we get old, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, the Expose drip. him. So I don't know the drip. You don't know Miami Vice. Yeah. I, so, I so want to say so many things about the drip. But I enjoy do my bi-weekly no. paycheck. Yeah, don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Uh, we were talking about the Leafs in the opening round, and this is the stat that I thought Good jumped, segue. Yeah, the stat that I thought jumped out to me was 0-7 in opportunities to either extend a lead in a series or eliminate another team. Yeah, that's Anytime very they had a chance, they couldn't do it. And last night, that was probably their best game of the series in a moment where they could take a stranglehold. That was finish him, right? Like yeah. that's like that's finish him. And, and it's you, not done. We're not acting it's like not it's done. done. And no, I kept it's, trying to say that throughout the excitement of the opening block, and I'm sure a bunch of people will say that I didn't, but I did. You know what it looked like? It looked like a professional win. It wasn't uh, eye-popping right. crazy. Some beautiful goals. Those two Galchenyuk assists were amazing. But it looked like a professional win. Like you mentioned earlier, they didn't get much from Matthews and Marner as far as points went, but the depth showed off. To me, that's professional. Nylander shows up. Man, four goals in four games. That's that's how you win. That's how you win in the playoffs is getting it from from guys like Spezza and old man Thornton. You know, that's how you do it. Old man yeah. Thornton's got the drip with that beard, by the way. Spezza, I heard, is big into the drip. He likes the stylish clothes. Mm-hmm. But this is how you win, and it came off to me as a very professional win by the Leafs. Yeah, like when you see those pictures of, uh, of Austin Matthews and William Nylander, that's drip. Like, oh. you know, when they, when they got the... So you want me to go around in fashion. jogging pants? Yeah, I mean, with their fashion jogging pants. <laughs> okay, that's a whole other area. And I blame Paul Bissonette for this. What? When did jogging pants become acceptable wear by Paul, men? You blame, you blame Paul Bissonette for Biz, this? Biz has been wearing those jogging pants pants for a couple of years now. And then I see Sean McKenzie golfing in them. Do you see uh, now the uh, the suit pants that are made? I'm not wearing them. I have a couple pairs, though. But they're suit pants, suit-like pants with the elastic waistband, mm. like a jogging pant. Let, let me tell you something right now. Do you want that me to right come? That right there is the greatest thing on planet Earth. Do you want me to come back on this show ever again? <laughs> what? That's, uh, be a be a man. Wear a suit. <laughs> Wear a it? pair of pants with your suit, not a pair of jogging pants. Hold on a second. You are throwing stones from a glass house. You're wearing jeans and golf shoes <laughs> with 
with 1980s <laughs> Montreal Expo socks on right now. Can this you, this is a blazer. Here, I'll put them up. I'll put them up. This is a blazer. This is not a suit. Uh, and by the way, I never pull my socks all the way up because I find them itchy. Vive les Expo. <laughs> yeah. That's a, now that, those, those shoes are drip. No, those shoes. Is it? Cut? I Can agree you be with drip? That, actually, that is drip. Nice slow think, shot. Why don't you hit sharp dress man there, bud? I don't think I have it. I think he's got it there, bud. Okay. So seriously. <laughs> slow shot. Right. You're, hold on a second. Audio can't just hit slow clap on Kenny's outfit here without consulting with the crew. You only and Jess, you only, Jesse says the shoes are nice. I, I somewhat disagree on the shoes, but I get it. The only drawback to this outfit, you can't see my calves. <laughs> you, got, you got nice calves? No, I have nice calves. Uh, I have I Dr. Dan Reed calves. I, I inherited them from my father. They're huge. You know who had, you know who had Damien Cox, I swear to God, it looked like he was hiding bowling balls. In his lower leg. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're just, like, massive. Well, he massive. and I can have a calf off someday. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> calf but, off. All right, back to the Leafs. Okay, back to the Leafs. I don't know how we go back to the Leafs after any of that. I have no see, idea I, either. So, yeah, I guess Austin Matthews and Marner have dripped, then, if that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Like a, if they wear that, like, uh Willie Nylander. Stuff. Willie Nylander. The Gucci the stuff. and stuff like that and the glasses. Yeah, and the Gucci stuff. What's his name, Brad? Yeah. Uh, tailored for K. Reed. <laughs> that, Come on. That right there is a Come name on. brand, right? That's Understood. Drip, I think. All right. So um, they get it done without their big guns. Mm-hmm. And as we watch the Edmonton Oilers bow out in four games, it's the near opposite what you saw last night from the Leafs. And that's what I was trying to point out. <sighs> and Willie Nylander, listen, I get he plays around the periphery. I get that he's not engaged all of the time. But when you can score goals that easily... That's valuable, and it's most valuable in the postseason. It's amazing. And you know what? I give Nylander full credit because I was, I've been barking for years. Nylander's one of those guys who's going to get you points in the postseason, but he's not going to show up in the playoffs. Wrong again there, non-drip Kenny, because this guy's been awesome, man. Going to the net, getting greasy. Look at this. Just right to the net. Hanging no. around. Love it. No, Love it'll, be, it. it'll be interesting to see when they face a team that has the kind of depth, and this is what happens in the postseason. You face teams that can not only nullify just Marner and Matthews for a game, but then they can match up with the second and third lines. We'll see if he continues right. to do it. But that game last night was the epitome of the Leafs having the ability to roll lines. Professional. That's ex- yeah. like, that, to me, is... Them kind of going, okay, this is our plan from a few years ago, and it's coming to fruition. It, this looks like who they are, are supposed to be. And uh, I, I mean, I can't get over the fact that, like, my hockey crush, Josh Anderson, I mean, where's he been? The, yeah. the Habs got four goals in this series. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to take away from the shutout Jack Campbell had, but the highlights we showed, and this is a credit to Campbell, I believe. He's taking a lot right in the breadbasket, right. right in the middle of the net. Like, he's not making the old Grant Fuhrer saves. And, and granted, goalies don't want to do that anymore. But check it out. Breadbasket and another and chance. Where, but where the shots basket. are coming from, too. Yeah, there's nothing greasy around the old blue paint. There's the around the blue paint. But, again, right in the middle of the net. Nice butterfly. This is a great save. This was one of his best saves of the night. But there, they finally get in tight. But a lot of, a lot of breadbasket saves for Campbell. Credit to him. That's what a butterfly goalie's supposed to do. Yeah, without a doubt. But that's this is the question that we were talking about before the show started. So do you give the credit to the Toronto Maple Leafs in this revamped defensive system and mm-hmm. decor, 
Or do you just look at the Montreal Canadiens and say this is the same old Montreal Canadiens who can't score goals? In this world where you have to take a stand, you have to blame one side or blame the other and go on TV and yell and yeah. say it's Montreal's fault or Toronto's fault, it's a bit of both. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, it it's not one side or the other. I think you have to give total credit to the Leafs of how they're playing, keeping Montreal on the outside as we just saw. And you got to put some blame on Montreal because they, they just can't get near that blue paint and get greasy. And you got to get greasy in the playoffs. Uh, how important for the Leafs to win it next game, given the fact that the Jets are home and cool right now? Oh, I mean, the sooner you get it over with, the better. But uh, I, I would personally, as a hockey fan, I'd like to see the series go as, as long as possible. And I want it to go to game that. six just so we can have 2,500 fans <laughs> yes, in Montreal. Fans in the stands. I, I honestly believe that. We've seen a little more juice in the American series because yes. the fans are in the stands. Yes. It's like uh, the old – in the TV world, for those of you who aren't TV geeks like us, when we air a story, Nat sound is in the background. That's the natural sound you, you see, and that's what's – we've been faking it, right, with right. The, Canadian, the, the games. But the real Nat sound's the best. The fans going crazy. I can't wait to see the pens – and Islanders tonight in Nassau Coliseum, those Islanders fans, that's like yeah. that's like 9,000 ultimate warriors in the <laughs> that's same place. That's exactly you know, they're just about. going nuts. They're going to be great tonight. Um, Oilers, we heard from Ken Holland today. Anything strike you from the we're done again? Yeah, I mean, those comments that Holland made earlier this year about, you know, you can't go in every year. I'm, the Pittsburgh Penguins go in every year because they have Malkin and Crosby. And you have to. If you're the Oilers and you have Dreisaitl and McDavid, the Oilers remind me of you're watching Texas Hold'em, right? And Buddy's sitting here. And he gets Ace King and he looks around the table and he's like, nah. you got Ace King every year. If not, pocket aces. Yeah. Go for it. And, you know, hopefully you get a, you got to go out and somehow acquire a couple jacks. Like, they got ace-king, but they're trying to win with ace-king in three, two, and four, three, two, and, yeah. you know, five. You got to go get some solid, solid guys because the, the heat Connor McDavid's taking, I don't think he really deserves it because, seriously, how much can one guy do? It's like you. For years, you carried that punk Sid Sixero, <laughs> and now you got me in here. You got a little bit of depth. The right. show is clearly better for it. You got Jesse. You right. know, Jesse's your solid third-line center. He's coming through here. He's getting pucks in deep. But the Oilers, you can't win with two dudes. You just can't do it. They have to find a way to, to make it happen. I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 you know, look at these UFAs. You have to think the Nuge is done, right? You have to think Tyson Berry is going to get big bucks somewhere. Mike Smith, Holland says he wants to re-sign him. He's on a 1.5-year, one-year deal right now. You have to sign him at that because you have the Koskinen and contract sitting out there. He's yeah. got one year left on that. Best deal ever as far as a pl- player goes. Yeah, 4.5 average annual value. <laughs> that is the, I want that deal. I will sit here and do nothing. At Sportsnet, I don't do much now, but I will do. I'll do anything <laughs> do to get that much right to do now. nothing. No. Uh, it's it, that's going to be really interesting. Listen, you spent time working at Edmonton, and yeah. I said this yesterday, and it wasn't meant to disparage Edmonton. It's meant to disparage small markets and cap systems. It's hard to get people to go and play in small markets, yeah. and then when you have to overpay to get them there. Yeah. Then you, then, it's an yeah. immediate disadvantage exactly. because of a cap system. Your third, fourth line, they have to be paid the way I'm paid around here. Right. You know, not that much. You know, you get a lot of value out of me for not a lot of money. Right. That's what they have to do. But you're right. If you want a guy to go to Edmonton, no disrespect, you probably have to pay him a premium. The, the, to me, the selling point should be you get to play with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Right. But I guess the selling point in Toronto is you get to play with... Matthews and Marner, and if you're a Spezza or a Thornton, you go, oh, that's close to home. Yeah. It's a big market. But then you do the Barry thing where you take the one-year deal and then you can go cash in somewhere else. Exactly. Right? Like, he had a great season for them. And that's uh, that's just the that's 
the reality that they're dealing with. And it's the reality that, I said, yes, the Toronto Raptors have dealt with that mm-hmm. in the past, and mm-hmm. they may still be dealing with it. The Sacramento Kings, the Milwaukee Bucks. You can get the player there. You can keep the player there. But surrounding them becomes tougher. That's how you, why you have to draft intelligently Correct. beyond the and first develop. round. Beyond the first round. Yeah. Anybody can pick one overall. That's, that's not hard. We can all look like scouting geniuses at, at one overall, I think. But you have to find those guys in rounds two, three, four, five. Uh, we've got three elimination games tonight. Is it, like if Kenny Reed, I know you're watching everything because you're hosting tonight. Yeah. But if you like, if I were to take two televisions away from you, is it Florida, Tampa? No, I'd watch Pittsburgh and the Islanders. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like uh, the Nassau Coliseum thing. Although I do think Spencer Knight's a pretty fantastic story. What a right? great story! Yeah. I love the fact that the kid let in the first goal the other night. <laughs> Fifty-three seconds in, you're thinking, "Oh no, it's oh, off no. the rails." Then yeah. he stops thirty-six in a row, and. He's the high pedigree guy, right? He's fantastic at college hockey. He's got the world junior gold. He comes on the scene. He's just doing his thing. Oh, actually, the Bobrovsky contract's the one I want. Yeah, that's the that's the one I want. Oh my goodness! What's Ten million. Ten million other, a year. And the other two guys are are in. Like, I mean, this guy's a kid, so he's yeah. on the entry level yeah. deal. You understand? Yeah. Like, that's that's where he's at. But ten million for goalie Bob. Oh man. Good for him. I, players, get all you want. Get all you can while you can. Man. Yeah, but the, the good for him, not so good for the rest of his team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they overpaid me to come in here, I wouldn't feel bad for you. No? No. Okay. Kenny Reed apparently sticking around and stealing my money after the break. It's the, uh, Spending on my clothes, on my drip. Or I have drip. I still don't really understand. Yeah. The debut that Jay's fans have been asking for and now will have to wait for. Alec Manoa postponed tonight. Yankee Stadium tomorrow afternoon. Look at that necklace. That's Danny Shulman next. You like that trip? You saw it? Yeah. Necklace. Necklace. (laughs) Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Jays fans have been asking for it and they got it. Alec Manoa has been called up. Now, he was supposed to make his debut tonight with the game has been rained out so his depth his debut will have to wait until tomorrow's double header in the meantime let's take a closer look at mr manoa two months into the baseball season and the blue jays pitching has been average middle of the pack in era and whip resilient through a tough string of injuries and one disappointing season debut. One of the toughest losses of the season for the Toronto Blue Jays as they have three bases loaded walks in the top of the ninth, and Tampa Bay has extended their win streak. The Jays' rotation ranks near the bottom of the majors when it comes to innings pitched. The bullpen has been taxed. They need reinforcements. Enter Alec Manoa. After much speculation, manager Charlie Montoyo confirmed the young right-hander will indeed make his major league debut Wednesday in the medal contest of the Yankee series in the Bronx. Six foot six, 23 years old, and a former first-round pick who is on fire in the minors this year through three starts. A 0-5-0 ERA, one earned run, three walks, 27 strikeouts over 18 innings in AAA. All aboard the hype train? My impressions about Manoa have been really good. That's all I've seen. A guy pitched really good with good stuff. Based on what the Blue Jays have seen so far from his work on the mound, they have really been impressed with what they've seen. He's a confident kid. He's pitching at Yankee Stadium. He earned his way to pitch here, and we'll see what he does. But hold up. 
He made just six starts in A-ball before jumping to AAA this season. He's made just nine starts and pitched just 35 innings of professional baseball in total. He throws a solid fastball and slider, but he's still working on the sinker and changeup, and he's making his major league debut at Yankee Stadium for a Jays club who just a week ago was sitting in second place in the AL East, a half game back of first. Is this a desperation move, or is the kid really ready to go? Obviously, the team has confidence in me to throw me into the fire, and I'm ready to go, man. So, you know, as long as that mound's still 60 feet, 6 inches, we got a shot. Fans thought Nate Pearson would be their savior. And although that's still a possibility, Manoa may already be the new great hope this fan base is looking for. So there is the uh, lowdown on Alec Manoa. And for those who are just joining us, about three minutes to air, honestly, tweet came out that they were postponing the game at 4.57 Eastern time. Now, I have to ask our next guest, Dan Schulman, who joins us now, whether or not he was just going to go straight home or did he actually stick around in the broadcast booth on the third floor here at the Rogers building to do this? Like, is everyone else gone now and you just stayed to talk to us, Jabronis? I'm turning the lights off on the way out. Now, before you get a self-inflated sense of yourself, I did did have another Zoom obligation at 5.15, so I said, well, I can do that one, and then I'll do this one, so... But listen, when I heard Ken Reed was in, I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Dan, when will you be holding your Rogers corporate Zoom seminar on how to be a professional? And can Tim and I attend? <laughs> uh, we have a beginner session that somebody else hosts that I'll send you guys to, and you can work your way up. Oh, Is no, that that's right? a six-arrow one. I've been through that. It wasn't really effective. <laughs> Didn't help. No. Didn't help. No. Uh, was... All right, let's talk a little Alec Manoa. Like, what do you think this does to the kid? All jacked up, ready to go, major league day. Hold on, young man. We'll have to sleep a night in New York City. Yeah, I I don't think it'll do much. I I mean, you know, I I look like on my phone, I looked at the weather this morning and saw there was a chance this was happening. So I'm sure he was in the loop on on that as well. And, you know, again, I've never met him. I've talked to him on Zooms. This is as confident a young person as I've ever seen in my life. And I don't think an ounce of it is false bravado. I think it's all legit. I'm I'm guessing he's going home and saying, hey, seven-inning game, I got a chance to go the distance now. Like, that's what he could be thinking because that's the kind of guy that he is. He loves his stuff. He trusts his stuff. He's excited. I don't think he's nervous. I mean, we'll find out after the game tomorrow when we Zoom with him or whenever we Zoom with him because it's a doubleheader. But I I don't think this is going to bother him at at all. And, And the weather did look pretty nasty tonight. So this is the best decision. I love the background on this kid. I was reading a story. I think it was Shy's story on him. Is this right? He didn't start pitching until he was a senior in high school? Yeah, he was a two-way player in high school. And uh, it doesn't say in the story. I read the story, too. I don't know what position it was. I'm guessing it wasn't shortstop, 6'6", 260. So (laughs) uh, I'm guessing he was a first baseman or maybe a left fielder. Uh, But then he started pitching more in in high school and he got some interest from Texas, but he decided he wasn't ready to go pro and that he would do himself. It would be better for him if he went to to college. So he went to West Virginia and even his first two years, Ken, at West Virginia, he was part time starter, part time reliever. He was basically just a guy who threw hard. And then he went and pitched in the Cape Cod League after his sophomore season against some really good prospects and said, you know what? Um, I, I got to change. And I asked him a question yesterday. I said, what'd you learn in Cape Cod? And he said, I learned how to be accountable. He started worrying about or working on nutrition, conditioning, 
junked his curveball, improved his slider, realized he needed a changeup. It wasn't enough to just be a big, strong guy who can throw hard. And, and it sounds like he had a, a great summer, came back his junior year at West Virginia, turned himself into a first-round pick. It's really a great story. And, and from that time on, he's been putting up uh, the kinds of numbers that we saw in Vancouver and then that we saw in the first three starts uh, for Buffalo early this year. And he's uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, and again, for people who haven't seen him, He's got a mound presence out there. He, he'll be he'll be looking in at the hitters. He might be talking a little bit. It's it's quite a show, and I don't think it's going to change just because he's making his major league debut. Our world would be a better place if more people said that they were want to be held accountable or be more accountable. <laughs> That's what Ken, Twitter's Kenny, he's for. looking pretty hard at you right now. <laughs> uh, he kind of is, isn't he? Yeah. I don't read my mentions on Twitter for a reason. Uh, I, I, did you want to follow up no, on that? No, I was just going to say, Dan, this is so, such a cool story because he – he basically sounds like the opposite of every young pitching prospect that comes along. He's not a 12-year-old out there next to a radar gun or an 11-year-old trying to work on a curveball. This is just a raw guy with a strong arm. I love it. It's, it's kind of old school, you know, when, when you think yeah. about it. it. It really is. And, and you know, there's so many guys, even if they have great stuff when they're young, they get to the majors and they get hit a little bit in that scares them that knocks them back a little bit and how often have you heard people like buck or me or whomever say you, you got to trust your stuff they're you know pete's trying to get them to trust his stuff attack more throw the uh, pitch in the zone more uh they i don't think they have to work now listen he hasn't pitched in the majors you know i hope i don't eat all of these words right but um i don't think they're going to have to say to him trust your stuff or right. be aggressive or attack i don't think that's going to be part of the conversation i think they're going to pat him on the back and say go out there and have some fun big boy and i think he's going to go out there and have some fun so you know again you don't want to set the expectations too high he's never thrown a pitch in the majors he's only thrown 35 innings in the minors we all you know that's been discussed and discussed and discussed uh, but it is what it is um it's kind of 50 percent he's earned the right to be here with it with what he's done and 50 percent they need a guy they, they need somebody to fill this spot and it, listen if it doesn't go well He'll go back down and learn what he has to do better. And and he has shown that that he's a worker um, in, in every aspect uh, of the game. Ross Atkins just, I mean, in, in a Zoom maybe 10 days ago, two weeks ago, just raved about the off-the-field stuff that he's done uh, in order to make himself better. Didn't even really talk about his pitching. Talked about the other stuff. And um, I, I'm excited to see him. And, and, you know, if things go really well for the Blue Jays, Six weeks from now, we're going to be talking about Manoa and Pearson both being in the rotation and both doing well. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if either of those things are going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, if it had been a normal year last year, he probably would have started at Dunedin. He probably would have finished at AA New Hampshire. He probably would have started this year at AAA, and he'd have been knocking on the door anyways. I, I, I think he deserves a little, uh, you know, a little time put in for what he did at the alt site. That shouldn't be just totally discounted he clearly did some work and deserves some credit for that as well i was chuckling because every jays fans dream <gasps> is that nate yep. pearson and alec manoa are part of the rotation yep. and they look the way they looked in triple a when they are part of that rotation uh it'll be interesting to see him go against the yanks who he dominated in spring but that is spring i want to talk right. about vladimir guerrero jr uh dan because off the top of the show i was saying like he's getting into that spot where every time he steps to the plate there's like a little smile that comes on my face and i'm not always focused when i'm watching baseball i'll be doing other things but vladdy steps to the plate and i'm getting to that point where like i'm almost expecting to hit a ball 110 miles an hour every time he steps to the plate like i'm not saying it's bonds territory but yeah. he's he's getting up there where like you kind of got to watch every at bat. 
Uh, so last night he walks in his first at bat, then he singles, then he homers. In his fourth at bat, fourth plate appearance, he comes up with runners at second and third, and he grounds out. Hmm. And I know that there were Blue Jays fans who were like, oh, man. And then you look <laughs> at the end of the night, he was two for four with a home run and a walk. Right. And it's just like, oh, he did it again. Like, it, it's that's how crazy hot he is and how crazy good he is right now that a guy can go two for four with a home run and a walk and almost leave you wanting a little bit more. But um, listen, it, it, he might cool off a little bit and still be really, really good, even if he's not first in everything, if he's third, fourth, fifth in everything. But guys, I'll tell you, you know, his talent is obvious, and we've talked about that from the moment we first, you know, uh, heard about him. I think his approach right now, his maturity at the plate, his game plan at the plate, all of those, you know, uh, goofy, sentimental, uh, not, you know, intangibles, all that stuff that you can't really quantify. I think they're just as important. He's swinging less. He's using the whole field more. He's cutting down his swing on occasion. And, you know, if somebody throws him a nasty pitch uh, off the outside corner in a two-strike count, he's going to try to line it to right field. You know, that ball that he hit to right field right there in Dunedin, extraordinary power up the middle into the opposite field. He's just, It's not only that he's in better condition. It's not only that. It's also that he's taken such a mature game plan to the plate. Guys who are 10 years older than him could learn a lot from what's going through his mind at, at the plate. He's special. He really is. Um, and, you know, to put it in perspective, he's a year younger than Alec Manoa. Like, think about that for a sec. He's a year younger than Alec Manoa, and he's in his third year in the big leagues, and he's one of the best players in the big leagues right now. And uh, it, it is fun. I'll tell you, you know, you said you're not always focused when you're watching baseball. I try to stay focused when I'm calling baseball, no matter who's up. But I'm especially focused when Vladimir Guerrero's up. Yeah, he's the Kyle Bukoskis of Major League Baseball. He's wise beyond his years. I mean, the kids. <laughs> I, I love the fact, Dan, that you mentioned that he cuts down on his swing in certain situations. Like, for me, is. Uh, we were mentioned off the top of the show, I'm old, I'm angry. I don't know what drip means. I'm not sure if you do, Dan. But no. I, I love... Well, it, means a, it means a different thing than, than it means to some other people. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the fact that you pointed out that this kid cuts down on his swing because, I mean, we're, we're in a world that everybody swings to the fences yeah. and strikes out. He's showing you what you can do if you actually, you know, use the brain as opposed to just the bronze all the time. Braun all the time. Yeah. Yeah, now he gets the pitch against Tampa Bay the other day. I think Brian Thompson threw him a bad slider over the middle of the plate, and he did what he's supposed to do with it. He hit it a mile to left center field. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, a, a slider off the outside corner, a down and away fastball, a two-strike count, something like that. I truly believe, and I've asked enough people who have said to me, yes, that this is what he's trying to do. And, and we can see, we watch his BP uh, before the game. We can see BP on our monitors up here on the third floor. And he's not just playing home run derby out there. You know, his first couple of sessions, he's hitting the ball to the opposite field, hitting the ball up the middle. He's asking for the ball away. You can see him pointing out to the whoever, John Schneider or whomever it is, and saying, throw, throw it out there because I'm going to get pitched out there during the game and I want to hit the ball that way. Uh, he's working on things. He's not just relying on his otherworldly talent. He's working on things. And again, he's 22, and, and that's really impressive to me. And the Blue Jays as a whole have a number of guys who I think have done a nice job in certain um, situations, taking the ball the other way, cutting down on their swing just a little bit. When you combine the game plan with the talent, you get an MVP candidate. Uh, and again, we're, uh, you know, not even a third of the way through the season. So let's see how things go. We're, we're getting around fast that this guy is as tough and out as there is in baseball right now. But... Uh, I've yet to meet anybody wearing any uniform of any other team 
who has said to me, nah, I, I'm not sure if he's going to make uh, Nobody's ever said that. <laughs> and certainly nobody's saying it right now. And, and again, he's gotten himself in great physical condition. Um, his, his his mind game is is at an elite level right now with what he's doing at the plate. And not for nothing, he's working hard at first base, too. And he's done a pretty nice job over at first base. You know what my favorite thing was? When he hit the home run in the game, they ultimately lost 14-8. to eight. When he hit his second home run, we saw a different kind of Vladdy emotion yeah. go into first. Yeah. We didn't see happy-go-lucky Vladdy. And I love happy-go-lucky Vladdy. We saw, like, come on, let's go, Vladdy. And, and, uh, and that's good. You know, there's some leadership in there, too, that's starting to come out as well. There are a lot of good things going on right now. Uh, Danny, a lot of good things in you sticking around to do this for us. We appreciate it, as always. Got it. Picking up dinner on the way home. Let's go. <laughs> nice. Dan Shulman Thanks, with Dan. the unexpected hey, night guys. off. Uh, joining us and now, boo, out the door he goes. Uh, by the way, yeah. Tyler Glass now is suggesting that there was something strange mm -hmm. about his start against the Jays when they mm -hmm. got at him. I wonder if we're just going to have to live with this over the next little while. Like, I don't know if the man in white has some sort of travel exemption or what's going You're on here. But like sign stealing and stuff. Yeah, like it's the Here's, Astros, Dodgers. Right. I, I hate that because sign stealing. Well, yeah, I'm going to try to steal your signs. Otherwise, you'd just say, throw me a fastball. Fastball. <laughs> well, okay, I guess I'm sitting on fastball. I don't get that whole thing. Uh, we, we're done for the, uh, for the Kenny Reed segment. Thanks. What? Thanks for doing I'm this. We're done. Here. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, we had Dan Showman and Kenny Reed, Fox both of them indeed. done. Rip. Tim and Friends continues. Donovan Bennett next. Thanks, Kenny. Drip. And now, time for real sports talk with Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Crockett will get it together for the second hour of the show. Thank you, Sheepdogs. Hour number two on this hump day, and it feels like it for me. If you missed it earlier, Jays and Yankees have been postponed tonight. Happy Alec Manoa Day will have to wait. Doubleheader tomorrow. He will make his debut in the afternoon affair of that double dip. Still to come, Donovan Bennett in studio, plus Dave McMenamin will join us to talk about the NBA playoffs and when Kawhi Leonard comes home. Also, Elliot Friedman. In just a few moments ahead of another great night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Three games, six on tap. The Islanders try and finish off the Penguins. That's coming up on Sportsnet and CBC at 6.30 Eastern. The Panthers try and force a game seven against the Lightning. See that on Sportsnet 360. And later, Vegas tries to advance in game six against the Wild. That one now on Sportsnet 1 because of the Jays shuffling. So right now, happening on Sportsnet now... The Secret Dream Gap Tour continues with Calgary facing Toronto. Highlights coming up in a flash. But we start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they will have a chance to close out their series against the Habs tomorrow night, 7 Eastern, live on Sportsnet and CBC. Great sign today. John Tavares was back at the practice facility for the Leafs and doing well, according to head coach Sheldon Keefe. The Leafs, who haven't won a playoff series since 2004, and Keith realizes the history at stake. This group itself, I, I look at as its own, um, as with its own identity, I guess I should say, and and not attached to anything that's happened in the past. I think that's important inside our walls, uh, and the guys, you know, don't uh, don't wear any of those type of pressures. But as an organization, of course, we, we need to deliver, you know, for our fans, and we've. We've given ourselves a great opportunity to do that. 
there's a there is a reason why it's been this many years it's because closing out a series is a very difficult thing to do and, and we respect that greatly we respect our opponent and we know that tomorrow night's game is going to be the hardest one of the series after game one and the win, it's kind of fallen apart for the Canadians. They've scored just four goals in four games. We'll hear from Dominic Ducharme, but first, Ben Sherratt was asked what the Habs have to do to get back in the series. Here's what he said. Put the puck in the net. We want to give ourselves a chance to come back here. And, uh, you know, we won't be going uh, down easy. That's for sure. We're going to be fighting. Pretty good. Score more than the other team. You win games. Oilers GM Ken Hollow met with the media today reflecting on the Oilers sweep at the hands at the Jets. He said the team would like to re-sign unrestricted free agent goaltender Mike Smith, one of 11 Oiler UFAs. He also realizes he has a very important summer ahead. As a manager, I need a good offseason. I got to try to go out and and make some some uh, some decisions. Whether it's re-signing some of the people that we got, and then and then going back at it and trying to play over 82 games, play us that our team plays our way back into the tournament, and try again and try again. And certainly, we know we've got a great nucleus. We've got we've got uh, some incredible players at the at the top end of our lineup, and I need to. I, as the manager, working with our staff, need to, to try to, again, make a, make a few little tweaks, make a few little changes. But I think we've made tremendous strides um, as I've watched our team. Speaking of making strides or lack thereof, Oilers defenseman Ethan Bear has been the victim of ridiculous racist abuse following Monday's loss. Bear's girlfriend shared a post on social media highlighting the abuse that Bear of Cree descent has gotten over the last little while. Ken Holland weighed in and suffice to say he also thinks it's ridiculous. First off, it's totally uncalled for, totally unacceptable. It's disgusting. There's no place... um, in our world for for racism and obviously there's a there's 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 many people taking the lead at at, at lots of different levels at, at 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 trying to you know get this out of our society um and you know ethan's an unbelievable um young man he's he's he's, he's a tremendous role model for all young athletes and, and especially the, the indigenous community, I feel sick for him. I feel disappointed for him that he would he would get this kind of um, abuse. Um, it's unacceptable. Yeah, but we're better up here. All right, uh, let's move on for a little bit at least. And time for three of thirty-one. Brought to you by GMC, the GMC Sierra AT4 Premium Off-Road Pickup. Built for adventure. Elliot Friedman joins us now from CBC. Elliot, uh, Ken Holland held his uh, end-of-year availability. What struck you the most from what will be a remarkably busy offseason for Holland? I, I don't know if there was anything that kind of blew me away, Tim. I think a lot of it was kind of what I expected. Um, his commitment to Mike Smith was probably the most newsworthy thing. Not that that, I think, is a huge surprise, but he was adamant they're going to try to bring him back. I think the buyouts is that he said very possibly, not 100%, would probably be among the things. They're probably looking at Koskinen and Goal and Neil 
up front. Those would be a kind of the couple of things they might be considering. Um, the Clef bomb time frame, there are some rumblings that maybe he doesn't return to play. And he said that, you know, they don't really need to know until July. So Clefbaum will have some time to figure out what's going on here. Those are probably the most newsworthy things. Nothing else, but nothing to me struck me as earth shattering. So what does he have to do this offseason? I mean, obviously with that many UFAs and seemingly uh, unable to surround Drysaddle and McDavid with the kind of depth that you need to uh, be successful in the postseason, it seems like a huge hill for them to climb this offseason, and he might have to go out and start spending some money. Well, I think he's going to do some of that. There's, there's no question about that, uh, Tim. Like, you know, they've got a lot of cap room. Uh, they, they've got a lot of flexibility to do a lot of things. Larson, we've reported, I think he's pretty close to being re-signed. They're looking at a, a three- or four-year deal for Larson, and they made a lot of progress on that before the trade deadline, and then they said, look, now we'll move it to the end of the season, so I assume that's going to get done. Um, you know, the, other, the name that you don't have there, because he's not a UFA now, but he'll be a UFA in a year, is Darnell Nurse. And people are going to look at their $25 million in cap room and they're going to say, spend, spend, spend. You have to take care of Nurse in a year. Yeah. And, you know, Nurse has shown, uh, you know, he had a huge season this year. Um, you know, Dave Amber, I think, put him uh, one through five on his Norris ballot. He's been talking up Nurse all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you heard Dreisaitl uh, talk about how, to him, he was the Norris Trophy winner. He played 62 minutes the other night. And the other thing, too, is, and I think this is very important for a, a team like Edmonton, he's an oiler. Um, if you let him go and you bring in somebody else, there's no guarantee that the identity of the team is going to mean as much to them as it clearly means to a guy like Darnell Nurse. So you have to say, not only are we going to deal with this summer, but we've got to make sure we're going to be able to get Darnell Nurse signed at a pretty big number uh, next summer. So, I, I, But I do think they're going to be aggressive, Dave. I think they're going to look for scoring depth. I think they're going to look for upfront depth. But I think the other thing that this league proves is you've got to find your bargains. And you've got to find your guys... Who are like look at look at how many guys Toronto has for example this year, who've come in there on you know million dollar ish deals and made an impact. And you have to find those players. And the other thing too is they've got to give a regular spot next year to Evan Bouchard. They've got to give a regular spot next year to Ryan McLeod. Um, you know they have to develop from within. I think that's what he's looking at. He's got some guys on his roster who are going to get better and give room to get better. He's going to protect his salary cap with Nurse in a year, but I do think he is going to go out and say, how can I weaponize this cap room for, for more players out there? Like, I won't be surprised if, if Hyman doesn't sign and he hits the market if Edmonton's one of the teams that's in on that. Hmm. That's an interesting one, and a great point about the next year thing. Just look at Vancouver and what they're going to have to do uh, with their cap room and their guys coming up. Uh, Elliot Friedman joining me, Tim McAuliffe here on uh, Tim and Friends, although you did call me David because I know that you're spending a lot of time with Mr. Amber over the no, last no, few I days. No, no, I actually said that David Amber put... Uh Put uh, put. Notes, I know like, one to five, and then you called me yeah. David's fine. I so called you Dave after it's okay. It was just this Freudian slip of the tongue. I understand that you work a lot with that young man, and uh, 
he's a good-looking young man. He might stick in your brain. I, I got it. I understand yeah. it. He is. Uh, I think it's the hairdos. <laughs> yeah, it could be the similar hairdos. Uh, all right, so let's move on to the Leafs and the Habs. And obviously, we heard from Ben Sherratt they got to score goals. Yeah. Can they find enough goals to get back into this series? You know, I think one, one thing that's really happened in this series is uh, Toronto has really done a great job against Montreal's power play. Uh, you know, they are aggressive. Like, Toronto's had the best chances when Montreal's had the man advantage in a lot of this series. They've done a really good job of, uh, you know, Montreal's power play has struggled, but Toronto's really attacked it, and they've been very dangerous with it. So that's a problem. The other problem here is, you know, before game one, our producer Brian Spear came up with a really good stat about how uh, Montreal's a rush chance team. They don't really create a lot of offense off the cycle and in the offensive zone. They do it off the rush, and, and I stole it and pretended it was my own, but Brian <laughs> Spear came up with it. And Toronto has taken that away from them. They, they really have done a, a great job making life difficult for the Canadians on the rush, and as a result, their number one weapon for scoring goals has really been you know, nullified to a great, deg a great degree. You know, that's, that's a good highlight in the sense they had three guys in the middle, but still a good shot gets off. Campbell has been excellent. I think he's, you know, four games into the playoffs. I think he's answered a lot of questions about him. I was really curious. Uh, I almost called you Dave again. <laughs> I was really curious. Now you got it in my head. I was really curious, Tim, about him going in, uh, in the back-to-back -back because he had a maintenance day last week, and you wonder yeah. about his health. He, yeah. he was excellent. He answered all that. So your goalie's been good. That answers a lot of your problems. And the other thing is, I think they've taken Montreal's number one weapon, which is the rush chances, and made it very difficult for the Canadians to do that. Uh, the Nylanderthals. Yes, uh, they Anthony must be, Stewart. Yeah, very happy right now, considering what... Uh, and this is... We, we talked about this off the top. Uh, this is what the Oilers are searching for, mm -hmm. and this is what wins in the postseason. When you're able to win games... Nothing from Marner on the score sheet. Nothing from Matthews on the score sheet. And a bunch of other guys are able to get it done, including William Nylander and Alex Galchenyuk. Well, I think what it's proof of, Tim, is that you always bet on talent. And, and you sit there and you hope that talent figures things out. And, but, you, you know, his skill, you know, not a lot of people have that. I think the really interesting thing about the way this series started was with the Tavares injury and then the Felino injury. I think they were kind of having some trouble figuring out how to make sure Nylander got his minutes. If you look at the regular season, uh, Marner and Matthews played about five minutes a game more than Nylander did. After two games of the series, that was up to seven, as I think they were trying to kind of figure out what was going on here. But, you know, Galchenyuk played great last game, and I think Kerfoot has been excellent this series. I think that's helped them become more comfortable with that line. And the playoffs are all about production, and Nylander is producing. You know, he's a talented guy. There's no question about it. You know, I was talking about this the other day. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's just that he's so calm and he always looks so unperturbed. Uh, you know, like, I, I get it. Like, some people look at that and they don't, they don't, yeah. understand it or they don't it doesn't resonate with them and you know it's like with, look like you care yeah, look like, like you care as much as like i care messier leadership right? right like we all we we yeah. and you know to be times i do think that there are times that nylander has <laughs> has had to look like he's showing a bit more of a pulse but right. to say the guy doesn't care i don't buy that i just think he shows it differently and i think some people struggle with that 
Uh, before we let you go, anything going on in Washington that we need to know about? I mean, the Kuznetsov part of the equation, the OV, I mean, it looks like he'll go back. Is there anything that you're hearing out of Washington that might be of interest to fans up here? Well, I really have believed for a long time that Ovechkin was going back. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going anywhere else. They recognize how important he is. The Kuznetsov thing, that thing has definitely been bubbling under the surface for some time now, and they're they're annoyed at him. There's there's no question about it. And the, to me, the guy who really stands out today is Peter Laviolette, because Laviolette, like Brian McClellan, sometimes he'll give us morsels. He's right. very blunt, and he'll give us morsels. And he did that today. But Laviolette, he only drops something when he has a reason to do it. And for him to say today, yeah, cause the, the, the Kuznetsov and Sansonov caused some problems within the room, to me, that stands out because Laviolette doesn't do that very much. And that right. says to me that, look, I think they've been quietly talking to other teams about Kuznetsov for some time. It's a difficult contract to move, especially when he didn't show he was very dependable this year. But there's no doubt that the Capitals uh, are thinking about it. Listen, I completely understand you calling me David. Listen, I fell asleep in the third period because I stayed up for the Oilers and Jets a couple nights ago. So last night in the backyard watching the game, I fell asleep during the third period of the Habs and Leafs. And it's always better, David, than Sid. So I appreciate it. I have to say this. Like, now I'm going to confuse you guys even more because Amber sleeps through the broadcast, too. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot Friedman, appreciate you. Be well, man. Take care. There is uh, Elliot Friedman from The Mothership. All right. Secret Dream Gap Tour continues right now on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet.ca. It's uh, Calgary's team, Scotiabank, facing Toronto's team, Sonnet. And a reminder, the games Friday through Sunday will also be seen on Sportsnet across the country on TV. So let's have a look at the highlights just under two minutes in. And it is Toronto pressing Jamie Lee Trey following up on the loose puck. Her first goal of the tournament made it 1-0 Toronto. Less than a minute later, more from Sonnet. Ella Shelton out in front. Madison Field scores. It's 2-0 Toronto. Soon after, Brianne Jenner centers to Retray, her second of the game, third goal for Toronto in the first four minutes. Under two minutes later, we're not done. Lauren Gable leading the power play rush, five hole to make it 4-0 there in the second period. Now 7-2 as Toronto is putting up some big numbers. All right, time for a break. Donovan Bennett joins me in studio next. We'll check in on his Man United as they face Villarreal in the Europa League final today. It was one of the craziest finishes. You will see highlights. Donovan Jr. next on Tim and Friends. In honor of my next guest, Manchester United looking for their sixth major European title. If we'll United! Call it- Europa League that. Villarreal playing in their first ever major European final. 29th minute, Villarreal free kick. And Gerard Moreno will get on the end of this. He scored 30 times this year for Villarreal. 1-0 yellow submarine. 55th minute, United corner, set piece. Villarreal can't clear. Marcus Rashford, initial shot. Deflected, sits down. Cavani, goal. Cool finishing. So we got to go to penalties. And this is where it got interesting. No one had missed 
11th round. It's up to the keepers. This is Villarreal's keeper, Geronimo Rulli. He beats David De Gea, so it's on De Gea to keep it going. Well struck. Keeper versus keeper. That was very well struck. And guess what? De Gea is stopped. Rulli is your hero. 11 penalties taken. Villarreal 11-10 to win the Reopa League title. Didn't recognize the voice of the man screaming. That was Donovan Bennett, who joins me in studio. Are you uh, are you shocked? Did you watch this? Were you running around? Sometimes it's tough. I understand it. You're coming in studio to do your job. Had you seen that? I had not. I was driving here, and I do not like to be on the devices while driving. Right. No. Just things not, that we don't do. Yeah, and then I was uh, getting my. Uh, my COVID test to oh, make nice. sure that we're yeah, safe in studio as well right. as on the highway. So I, I saw that for the first time. I kind of tried to show the same thing and it didn't work. <laughs> didn't actually work. How are you? I was well until I saw that. Come on. 11, 10 penalties. That's actually a really tough way to go down, isn't it? A very tough. I was going to say, like, do you really care? Europa League. That's those all. are. That's no. not the title that Man no. U was looking no. for. But in a way, going if you're going to go to that game, you're going to play all of your best players. To lose 11-10 in penalties is a tough way to go down. It is funny enough, though. Dean Henderson, he was more so the Europa League keeper throughout the year. So it's somewhat interesting. They had a tough year. No one watching really cares right. about United in Europa League. Right. Nor does Adidas, who is the shirt sponsor, who doesn't pay a lot for them to win the Europa League. There's right. no escalator clause for, <laughs> for winning the Europa, Europa. League. They make a special yeah. jersey right. for the Europa. It's for the Champs League. But that is tough. Imagine if we did that, though, in hockey. Imagine we're just going, like, keeper on keeper in a shootout. Right. That's what I want to see. Not keeper on keeper fights. Right. I want to see keeper on keeper in a shootout. Uh, a year ago, around this time, uh, you came on. I was going to say you came in studio, but we were actually in our houses doing a show during the height of a global pandemic that is somehow different than this height of the global. Whatever. Either way, it was a story about you and your son and you talking to your son. And I've been told that you have done it again, part two. I have. Because I only have so many good ideas, quite frankly. <laughs> but. This year has been something. It's really been a year of change, of thought, of leadership, and in some cases, voids of leadership. And so I wanted to try and put a bow on what it's been like since George Floyd died on Memorial Day to where we are now and my hopes and dreams so that maybe my son doesn't have to go through a year like this. So this was my letter to my young son, Desmond. Dear Desmond, if only I could keep you little. It's only been a year and you've grown so much. Half of your life has passed since the last time I wrote you and since we've seen a lifetime's worth of change, a worldwide racial reckoning. If I have a son, I'll teach him to be brave. Because if I have a son, he's never really safe. This year, we've once again had to say too many names, shed too many tears. We're still in a pandemic, both medical and racial. Some of our Asian brothers and sisters have also been victims and become vocal. Your skin, it 
We painted, we protested, we performed. We demanded change that wasn't performative. And one change was that we finally received not justice, but accountability. Which became a celebration as if it were an inauguration. I don't want you to get justice, I want you to just live. So when they say your name, it's because you won a championship game or champion change, not because you were slain. I want to keep you little. If I could keep you little, I wouldn't have to fear you screaming, hands up, don't shoot. But then you'd never see how you can use your mind, body, and soul to lift others up. If I could keep you little, I wouldn't have to worry about you having to work twice as hard to get half as much. But then you never get to have a mentor and be a mentor to bet on yourself and bring others up with you as an ally. I wish I could keep you little because then I wouldn't have to worry that if you don't comply, you'll die. Your skin, glitters like gold. There's love inside of your soul. I wish I could keep you little because I fear what the world might do to you but then I would never realize what you could do in this world. I wish I could keep you little and bounce you on my knee, but then I won't know if you'll grow up and be brave enough to take a knee, to put people before profit, to use your platform for a purpose. Hopefully, you won't have to. I hope your race doesn't get you in trouble, but if it does, don't be afraid to get into good trouble. I said a year ago, this is a movement, not a moment. Well, son, the movement's not done. Yes, we're still wearing masks, but we're no longer hiding in plain sight. How the world makes a change, so when you get here, it's not the same. We live on land that was stolen. Our ancestors were stolen from our land. But right now, we're taking back what we deserve. Our dignity, our safety, our equality. Sadly, George Floyd and many others both Canadian and American, had to live out their nightmares so we could start to live out our dreams. I can't keep you little, so when you get big, dream big. Be whatever you want and follow the lead of the change makers and the love spreaders in politics, in the arts, in sports, because they're fighting now for you to have a fighting chance later. Ooh, every time you go. You're black, you're beautiful, you're a blessing. And in 2021, forever and always, your life matters. Love, Dad. If I have a son, I'll teach him to be brave. Because if I have a son, he's never really safe. Another awesome job and another awesome reminder that when we get frustrated by progress being a little bit too slow, we can just look to the youngsters to carry on the torch. Because I think that's the next step, right? No question. Uh, shout out to Ruth B., Canadian artist, who let us use the song. Awesome. All right, uh, time for a break. When we come back, we're going to send uh, some of you to the Penguins and Islanders. That game is on Sportsnet, so we got a hard out here. Pittsburgh trying to keep their season alive. As for us, DJ and I will continue on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 5, and FM. Hopefully, you will join us. Dave McMenamin will to discuss an amazing start to the NBA playoffs, including Kawhi and the Clippers down 0-2 to the Mavs. Uh-oh. 
More conversation, 60 seconds, right back at you. Please stick around. Tim and friends, including Donovan Bennett and Jesse Rubinoff. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. We are just four days into the NBA playoffs, and we're already dripping with drama, but don't tell Ken Reed. He might get scared. Last night, the Nets dominated the Celtics to take a 2-0 series lead, which now shifts to Boston for Kyrie Irving's first game in front of the Celtics fans since he left for Brooklyn. And then there are a couple of wild games in the West. The Lakers pulled even with the Suns in what was a tough loss for Phoenix on many levels. After struggling in Game 1, LeBron and Anthony Davis bounced back in Game 2 with 23 and 34 points respectively taken over the game down the stretch. And you got a feel for Chris Paul. He tried to play through the shoulder injury that he suffered in Game 1 but spent most of the second half on the bench. And it appears as though his championship aspiration could be derailed again. But the biggest story of the playoffs so far is the Clippers finding themselves down 0-2 to the Mavs. Kawhi and company had no answer for Luka Doncic, 39-7-7 in Game 2. The Clippers, who tanked in the final game of the season to avoid being in the same half of the bracket as the Lakers, now head to Dallas in a huge hole to dig out of, down 0-2. As my friend Mark Spears tweeted, in a best-of-seven series in NBA history, the road team has won the first two games. They've gone on to win 27 of 31 times. Oh, yeah, and you may have heard uh, Kawhi can become a free agent at the end of next season. I'm just adding this little equation to it as Luka is the little baby that Dirk Nowitzki is holding up. Uh, three games on the schedule tonight. Sixers look to go up 2-0 on the Wizards. And you can expect Madison Square Garden to be ready as they welcome their new favorite villain, Trey Young, in Game 2 between the Knicks and the Hawks in Game 2 Grizzlies Jazz Series after Mississauga. Stand up! Dylan Brooks led Memphis to an upset win in Game 1. Utah will get a boost with the return of Donovan Mitchell. Speaking of uh, Donovans, your thoughts to the early going here in the NBA playoffs? I want all the Canadians to lose. As soon as possible. So right. they can play for Team Canada. That's one. Right. So keep getting buckets, Dylan Brooks, but hopefully you lose. <laughs> but no, I I don't know if it's just me and I consume the game online, but I'm looking at it through the lens of how does everything that's happening right now impact everything that's gonna happen this offseason. Right. That, that's how I'm watching every single game. It's interesting. All right, uh, time to bring in ESPN's Dave McMenamin to join the equation. Uh, he calls L.A. home these days. What's the bigger story? 1-1 one, one Lakers, and I know that they're always the bigger story, but have the Clippers down 0-2 brought this uh, Clippers suck, oh, my God, look what they do every year back to the prominent uh, spot that it's been in the past? It's certainly still below the Lakers story because this town is a Lakers town. But what's happening to the Clippers right now is like a a wild case of deja vu. It's supposed to be last year. They blow the 3-1 lead in the second round. And, okay, we regroup. We got the right guy that the guys respond to in Teron Liu. We retool with some veterans, a guy like Serge Ibaka. You guys know his game well, having... Uh, the time he spent in Toronto and Serge Baca's barely playing. Uh, you, you get Luke Kennard, who you signed to a 64 million deal in the offseason. It was supposed to be the guy to fill in for Lou Williams because he showed such promise when they made the Lou Williams trade to get Rajon Rondo. Kennard's not playing either. And 
the Dallas Mavericks seemingly are making every open three that they've had through the first two games. Now, I'm not so sure this series is over, and I think Mark Spears' stat could be added to where you get the fifth team to come back from being down 0-2 on their home court because there is a ton of talent with this this Clippers team, and when they lock in, particularly with the type of game that Kawhi Leonard has, if they win game three, it's a completely different series, and all the pressure's back on the Mavericks uh, to get it done in a game four. And so let's see what happens in game three. I, I think the uh, the talk about the Clippers season being over is a little premature. Yeah, I think the best thing for the Clippers is for some reason the NBA put them on at the same time as the Lakers, and a lot of people weren't paying attention uh, in L.A. or otherwise. But, but you talked about it, it not being over and all the things that we expected from this team. But what we expected was, oh, man, they got two of the best wing defenders in the game. They've got some depth in terms of their defensive versatility. What's not changing is that the double team they're sending is not going to get any taller. Patrick Beverly is not going to get any taller. And, and no one has seemed to be able to guard Luka. They got an amazing game from Kawhi, and they still lost. So what is the recipe to change the equation of what we've seen over the first two games? Yeah, I don't think Pat Beverly can guard Kawhi anymore in this in this series. And maybe you could say he hasn't begun to guard Kawhi. <laughs> he hasn't, excuse me, he hasn't begun to guard Luka Doncic yet in this series because it's been straight abuse. And as competitive and as strong as Pat Beverly can be on that end, the size disadvantage is so stark right now. And so you're going to have to put either a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard or maybe a Terrence Mann on uh, Luka to begin things. So that's your first step to move forward. And you're going to have to clamp down on these threes. 18 threes is unacceptable uh, for a team that prides itself in its defense. And so, listen, if if the Clippers get back to, into it with their defense tenacity, get out in the open court, obviously Kawhi, his body seems to be as in good a shape as it's been maybe since his Spurs days. Uh, you can ride him and you got to, you know, be meticulous on the offensive end, working through Kawhi Leonard, uh, working it to uh, Zubats if he's in there. He's a great foul shooter, getting him to the line, getting easy buckets, getting into foul trouble where you can get into the Mavericks bench. And, you know, as, as strong as a guy like Jalen Brunson is, uh, a six man of the year candidate, their bench isn't as good as their starters in Dallas. And it, again, if you get one win, it's a completely different series. Dave McMenamin joining us here on Tim and Friends, Donovan Bennett in studio. Uh, Dave, let's switch gears to that uh, Lakers series. And listen, I get that there's a lot of eyes on LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Lakers. But can we just pour some out for the luck of Chris Paul? Like, it just seems like every time he finds something, an injury, something gets in the way, uh, and it doesn't look good. Uh, sitting by, I guess he played seven minutes in the second half yesterday. Yeah, and they had a basically a, a couple possession game down the stretch, and he couldn't go. And obviously, Cameron Payne played the game of his life, and he deserves a ton of credit for his ability to keep the Suns afloat uh, once the Phoenix rotation had to deal with the emotional loss of their leader, but also just the tangible loss of what he brings to the court. But you know, the way Monty Williams talks about it. He is going to trust Chris's opinion and the medical staff's opinion. And the fact that Chris Paul wasn't even on the injury report yesterday. Obviously, everyone knows what happened to him in game one. But if the medical staff doesn't consider it to be an injury that has to be listed, that means that it's a pain tolerance thing. And if Chris Paul, we know anything about him, he's going to give himself a go. Then it becomes this tough Solomon's choice for Monty Williams. Uh, do you let the guy who led you here 
continue to give everything he has, or do you have to say that? So, did I say Solomon's choice, Sophie's choice. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, then you had to put Cameron Payne in there because if Chris Paul is hurting the team and isn't doing anything to give them a chance to win the game, man, that's tough because he he got them here. Uh, he was my vote for MVP in the league this year. Number two record in all of the league it brought the Suns from out of the playoffs to at the top of the Western Conference. But if he can't go, he can't go. And you're going to have to work the ball through Cameron Payne and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder and all the other guys who have shown signs of life this series. It's funny because coming into this series, my health questions were about the other team. Yeah. And the Lakers and how healthy AD was going to be and how spry and healthy that ankle with LeBron was going to be. And they seem to be relatively okay. At what point does Frank Vogel stop really pretending like Anthony Davis is in a center and pretending like everything shouldn't run through LeBron and just rolls out the we are going to run over everybody at all costs like we saw in the finals? How long can the Lakers placate as if this is an egalitarian situation? Dom, I'll start with LeBron. I asked Frank the other day, like, are you still viewing LeBron as an injured player? And he said, no, no, he, he's a healthy player now, but he's a healthy player that could use a couple more weeks to get to the place he wants to be. And so that suggests to me that there is still a rehab process going on for LeBron, not just a game preparation process. And you kind of saw that in game two. LeBron's numbers were great, 24 points, nine uh, assists, four rebounds, a couple of steals, but he wasn't getting the paint touches. You didn't see him driving to the hoop. You didn't see him even posting up as much as he usually does. He was operating from the perimeter. Now he made some clutch jumpers down the stretch, so he still did his job from out there. But LeBron James at his best is driving, attacking, getting to the foul line or spraying it out to open shooters. He's not quite there yet. And so he has done a, a great job so far to keep the Lakers afloat while he's on the court, but he's not there. Anthony Davis appears to be a healthy player. It's all between the ears for him. And he admitted as much. He he said after the game that I had to put myself in a place where it it was so must win that I didn't want to be around my teammates. He said he barely left his hotel room between games one and two, only to go out to that patio adjoining his suite uh, to get a little fresh air. But the rest of the time was all business. And if Anthony Davis attacks like that and gets to the line like that, the Lakers are going to be just fine in this series. And if they're just fine in this series, that means they'll be playing basketball for a couple more weeks, which means that LeBron James will have the time to get where he wants to be. I know you're focusing on the West because that's your beat. What, what do you find the most interesting series in the East that's captured your attention a little bit? Well, after such a classic game one between the Heat and the Bucks, it goes down to the wire in overtime. Jimmy Butler makes that incredible bucket over Giannis to send it to overtime. The Bucks just annihilated Miami in game two. I didn't expect that to happen whatsoever, especially because of the way Miami beat the Bucks last year in the postseason. I know Giannis was hurt, but I, I, to, to see a Miami team just lay down the way they did in game two was shocking. Now, I, I imagine Miami will respond, will respond in game three and, and make it a series again. But, you know, a part of me felt like Miami was going to win that series. Uh, at this point, uh, I don't think they will. And now we start to question, you know, I've been saying all year that Brooklyn is the far and away favorite head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. And what they've done so far against Boston only supports that. But we've been talking about Brooklyn. We've been talking about Philadelphia because Joel Embiid has reached another level. Can Milwaukee 
actually do it this year. And you know, certainly that performance against Miami in game two, two opened up my eyes and opened my mind a little bit to the possibility that maybe we could see the Bucks in the finals this year. You mentioned we've been talking about Brooklyn, but have we, though? Like, I, I look at the two teams in the Metroplex of New York and the Knicks, the, the Garden is back, Spike Lee is back, and Brooklyn has played really well against a good opponent, and nobody seems to care. I almost feel like if the Knicks win one round, it makes more of a noise than the Nets win the championship. When you're looking at certainly what it might mean to, to broadcasters, but what it might mean to the league, how are you viewing the two different levels of storylines coming out of the franchises in New York? Yeah, Donovan, this is a fair point to make. I, I think maybe the, the circles I'm talking to are these NBA nerds where we're just looking at the teams regardless of market. And so the Brooklyn group, the fact that they have Kevin Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden, like they're such an incredible, immense talent that once that team was put together, they should be marching their way to the, the finals. But the Knicks story is incredible. And the type of group, it it, it was the right amalgamation coming together it was a city that was you know like many places around the world was in a lockdown and looking for something to latch on to and have a breakout party with and this is this hard scrabble group led by tom thibodeau led by the most improved player julius randall who doesn't love a story like that someone making something out of himself when people told him he couldn't be that and you had a great game one, a classic. Now, of course, they lost, but they kind of won. And we certainly won as reporters and storytellers because we got to anoint Trey Young to a completely different level. Like Trey Young is a guy who's put up, in some ways, just as impressive numbers as Luka Doncic since he got, came into the league. But he didn't have that playoff performance to kind of let everybody see exactly what yeah. he's all about. So not only does he have this huge game, but he does the whole, you know, be quiet and has embraced this villain role. And now all of a sudden we're like, not only is this guy great and he can shoot from as deep as Steph Curry and Dame Lillard, but he has the personality to get people to tune in. I, I think it's wonderful for the league. And I, I think this Knicks Hawks game is probably the must see game of the night. It's funny. I used to, I got to update the references, but I used to call them the, the Reggie Theuses, the Kelly Trapukas, guys scoring on terrible teams oh, right. because guys have to score on terrible teams. And I feel like Trey Young was kind of put into that category of guys scoring on terrible teams. And this is the opportunity for him to bust out. And he did at least in, in game one. So it'll be interesting to see. Same for Devin Booker. Yeah, same with Devin Booker. I, I, I think. People were waiting to see Devin Booker do that, too. Although, I will say their bubble play, even though they didn't make it, kind of elevated them for me. Uh, McMenamin, love catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it a ton. Tim, Donovan, we want Reggie uh, Theus to get the mustache, give oh, it to Trey yeah. Young. And that would get him to the really the next level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's almost got the jerry curl <laughs> yes, because that was, that was back in the day. Uh, appreciate it. Be well, man. Thanks, guys. I remember Oprah Winfrey had Reggie Theus on the show saying, like, talking about the good-looking man in the NBA. Like, had him on, said, like, this is the most eligible bachelor, I believe, at the time in the NBA. And it was Reggie Theus with the mustache and the jerry curl. It was awesome. I'm just more interested that you were watching Oprah. At what age would this have been? Uh, it was back when I had, you know, mom at home. I would have been real young. Reggie Theus, 85, 10 years old, probably. Sounds about right. Yeah. I was a big fan of basketball. All right, time for break. He's sticking around. I'm sticking around. Rubinoff's sticking around. I hope you'll stick around for Last Call right here on Tim and Friends.
Tim and Friends for Last Call. That includes Donovan Bennett. And I reintroduced Jesse Rubinoff into the equation. Timmy, DJ, what's up? Love it. Love the look. Thanks, man. By the way. You as well. Uh, Donovan Jr. Donovan Jr. A bunch of people have asked me why people are calling you DJ on the show. Donovan Jr., DJ. Yeah. Was named after my father. Right. Keep the greatness going. But you actually pronounced my first name correctly. Congratulations. Sorry. No, you what? just did. I'm, I know, I'm, I know, but you're, I just I disappointed your hold mom. On, what's for the, the first... correct pronunciation? Well, the way Donovan. That, yeah, I used to call him Donovan. Some, some U's in there, or like an O U. Oh, okay, okay. So Don, I, so Donovan. I'm so good. I was right though, like all along. Oh yeah, no, Donovan. Mo- most yeah. of the world is right. <laughs> just uh, he, ninety nine point nine percent accepted. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, Andrew Wiggins announced his yeah. intentions to play for Team yes, Canada sir. this summer. Let's go, with this Wiggs. Instagram post earlier in the week, it will be Wiggins' first time playing for Team Canada since 2015. Whoa. DJ Donovan, how big Hold is on. this for Canada's chances to qualify for the Olympics? Hold on. Hold on here, Zach. What, that I'm asking Donovan instead of you? No. Donovan, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> you sat here on this desk in this seat talking to Sid Sixero a year ago, and he had all of this consternation about whether or not Andrew Wiggins was going to play for Canada this summer, and you looked him in the eye, and you told him, Sid Sixero, Wiggins told me he's playing, he's playing. Mm. So I will let you, I think you added a young chalk in there. It's going down, but whatever, I'll move on. Yeah, okay. So, would you like to take your victory lap on the Andrew Wiggins is going to play well, for Team Canada? I just messed a couple of seams up in the jacket trying to pack myself in the back. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a Euro fan. Yeah. What are you, Vince Carter with the young jacket? <laughs> yeah. it's, go, it's going down. Uh, going listen, down. I don't, Andrew Wiggins said quite publicly, I'll be there yeah. when it's the Olympics. In between, I got to make sure my game is right to earn that contract. Funny enough, this year he had a great year and yeah, starting yeah. to earn that contract, but it is the Olympics and he's ready to go. So put some respect on his name. Okay, now you can answer haters. the question. I was just giving you some love. Uh, is this? Are they going to the Olympics? They have to. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the Canadians are not in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Michael Mulder, another warrior. We'll see what the contract situation is. But yeah, I, I think they will be. There's a lot of contract situations. There are a lot of contract situations. True. But uh, Tristan Thompson, not one. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, not one. Uh, and those are big names. So I, I think they're going to punch their ticket. Let's stay with Olympic talk. They're cheering yeah, for the Bucks. Way. Canada is cheering for the Bucks right. to go far. <laughs> cheering against the Knicks. We need RJ. Yeah. One of Japan's news, major newspapers, Asahi Shimbun, is calling for this summer's games in Tokyo to be canceled. Public opinion polls show 60 to 80% of the Japanese public want the games called off due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Tim, is there any chance the Olympics get canceled? We have done a lot of things during this pandemic because of what money dictates. Uh, As Wu-Tang Clan once taught us, cash rules everything around me. Oh, cream, get the money. Oh, I thought you were going with a different money song. Which song did you think I was going to I thought you were going to, you know, cite the Countess from the Real Housewives of New York oh, yeah. and sing Money Can't Buy You Class, no, which money, is a banger. That's, that's a little bit different, though. Okay, but uh, sorry, you were because saying... Because it's not class that we're talking about in Tokyo. What we're talking about is money. And we've done a lot of things in this pandemic because of money. And this is the ultimate money versus what the public in a country... Because I had read several times before this that... The public opinion in Tokyo was like 80% against the games. And I believe that the money will win out against the public opinion.
because it's a lot of money, like billions of dollars of money. And Wu-Tang, frankly, has never let me wrong. Getting rather close to the, uh, you'd think, like a drop-dead date for canceling the Olympics, too. But I don't know if that, I don't know if that exists. I mean, it should exist, and it probably does exist. But in this case, like, if we're talking about the health of a country, like... Should matter. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But does the know. money model still work if there's no fans and stands? Yes, because it's television contracts. A lot of it is television contracts, and those television contracts go down the drain. So I do, I understand it's not as much money, but now you're talking about losing a billion or losing five billion. Right, but that's IOC money, not Japan money. Well, they built stadiums, they've put infrastructure in place. It is, it's Japan money and IOC money. I don't want to hit you with this again, but... Remember yesterday we were talking about Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau? Golf beef. The you golf, beef, golf is back. beef. The beef no, is back, What's Timmy. Beef? The beef is back. Okay, so TNT <laughs> announced today that the latest edition of the match will feature Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. Yesterday we talked about the beef between DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, and after hearing the news, Kepka tweeted. Sorry, bro, at Aaron Rodgers, implying that he has to be partners with Bryson DeChambeau. Then Bryson, as you can see here, responded with, it's nice to be living rent-free in your head. Oh, wow. Come on. Phil Mickelson tweeted, I feel like I'm in the middle of something and should step aside, except they want the current PGA champion. Oh, oh, wow. The 50-year-old current PGA champion, uh, Tom Brady. Then, as you know, likes to get involved in social media, then posted a series of memes. Let's start here. Using uh, Kepka's oh, photo, wow. of course, from the clip we saw yesterday. This says, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers kicking a field goal oh, down wow. seven. Mm, wow. Crispy. Uh, me, Tom Brady making memes, Aaron and Bryson. Right. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, Bryson, happy to be here. Aaron realizing he has to spend the whole day with Bryson. So, wow. Tim, the question is, are you team Brooks? Or Team Bryson, or are you sticking with your? You this, don't care for the golf beef. I. This makes me feel like it's contrived. Oh, they yeah. ha, they do have social media policies now that are beginning to reward golfers. Yes. For interactions, so that may play a part in this. So that they don't go to the Saudi Super League or whatever the hell right. it's called. Right. I. Part of me thinks that this is contrived, and maybe it's because I've sat beside Donovan and the Real Housewives and stuff like that. They yeah. they would do something like that for they sure. Yeah. I don't know if Kepka and DeChambeau could do that. I don't know. Uh, Donovan, thank you for coming by. My pleasure. Uh, I cut you off. You're gonna say something, <laughs> and then I just say thank you for coming by. And we got a hard out here. It's like eight seconds left in the show. I got nothing for you. Thank you. Thanks, Timmy. Thanks, Thank you. Donovan. <laughs> DJ. That's it for us, kids. Back tomorrow. You can watch a lot of stuff in Sports Night tonight.